Loving God with your mind is what we're going to talk about this morning. Last week, Dave, I think Dave was here and Mike Rutledge was, was south. By the way, is he a country singer or what? Yeah. That was awesome. I love it. Never thought of Mike Rutledge as a, as a country boy, but man, he changed my mind today. Anyway, so we talked about loving God with our heart last week. But talked about desires and aligning our desires with, with God's desires. And so today we want to talk about what Jesus says in, in Mark twelve thirty, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So the mind is what we want to talk about this morning. You know, there is this myth out there that I've heard many times that when you become a person of faith, when you, when you become religious, that, that you have to take your mind and kind of put it up on the shelf and, and leave it there because reason and your mind just goes out the window. Almost like what he was talking about in the clip. You know, if we would transfer that to a religious setting, you know, once you become religious, the church just wants your body in a chair and your, your offering and your ties <laughs> in the offering, but your mind isn't really of much concern. And that just simply isn't true. Maybe that, maybe some places that's true, but it is not biblical. It is not what God wants for us. God com- com- created you, created me complete including an incredible mind. And he wants us to live whole. And he wants us to live complete. He doesn't want us to deny a major part of, of who he made you to be in, in, in order to follow him. And that's why Jesus here in this, in this, what's often called the great commandment, why Jesus includes all of our being in this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and, and with your strength. He includes our emotion. He includes our spiritual being. He includes our intellect and, and our physical being in this. All of us is part of engaging with God. And so I want to talk this morning, focus on our mind and what it means to love God with all of our minds. Before I do that, I'd love to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your love. Thank you for how you've made us. Thank you that you gave all of us a brain and a mind. And I I thank you that you want us to use it and that you made it incredibly capable. And so I just pray, Father, that you, through your word, will talk to us this morning about what it means to love you with all of our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a great book here recently by a guy called Mark Batterson. It's called Primal. And in it, he tells us about a study that was done in the year 2000 on the brains of London, you know, London in the UK, across the pond, London cab drivers. You know those black round cabs that they have? Now, when I, when I read that, that they did a study on the brains of cab drivers, I thought, wow, that... Man, cab driving isn't the first thing I would think of when I think about intense brain activity. And I don't want to knock uh, uh, taxi driving. You know, and London definitely isn't Salt Lake where all you need is coordinates and you know where to go. You know, London's a little more complex than that. But they did a study on the brains of London cab drivers. And this is what they found. They found that London cab drivers have an enlarged posterior hippocampus. Is that exciting or what? 
The hippocampus, the posterior hippo or hippocampus, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. My mind's not that smart. Is the part that deals and, and, and controls the processing of spatial information. So ladies, don't worry about this one. All right? No, I'm just kidding. Ooh, that was bad. Spatial, spatial information, direction, spatial thinking, and all that. So that part of the brains of, of London cab drivers is enlarged. Now, check this out. To become a cab driver in London, you have to go through three years of training. Way. Three years of training before they let you ride, drive one of the cabs in London. Now, that, that training, and, and only one-third of everybody that starts the, the training actually makes it and qualifies to become a London cab driver after three years, one-third. They have to memorize 400 pre-prescribed routes throughout London. They have to memorize those. They have to cross-reference thousands of street names. And, and so once they've memorized those 400 routes or routes, how do you say it in Utah? Routes, routes, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. They have to be able to mentally reroute those routes because they need to take into account construction and traffic patterns and, and the, the Queen's schedule and, and whatever, you, whatever else. And all of that they need to do in, the, in a matter of seconds, make decisions where to go and how to reroute. And all of that happens in a tiny part of deep inside of brain called... The, 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 the posterior hippocampus. So when they did this study, groundbreaking new stuff came out. See, the assumption was always that our brain with age loses the capacity to, to take in and retain new, new information and to create new connections in our brain. But what they found in this study with these cab drivers is that the oldest cab drivers those that, that had been cab drivers the longest, even up into higher age, had the largest posterior hippocampus, larger than the younger drivers. And what, what came out of that, this is what the new, neurologists came out of this, and it was really a paradigm shift in thinking about our brain and the science of understanding our brain. It said this, neurogenesis in the posterior hippocampus continues into old age. Is that exciting? Yes! yes. Now, let me translate that. What that means is that God created your mind and my mind with the capacity to learn and grow and expand until the day that we die. Really, our brain is capable of taking in a new piece of information every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year, and the brain has the capacity to do that for 300 million years. That's the brain that God has given you. That's the mind that he has given you. Our brain, the size of a, of a softball, I always thought it was bigger than that, but apparently the average brain is the size of a softball, is, a, is, is capable of so much. There's incredible, incredible power and potential that God has laid into our minds. Forget supercomputers, forget PCs, even Macs can't, can't compare. But you know, with that potential comes an awesome responsibility. An awesome responsibility of what are we going to do with this capability, this potential that God has laid into us. Do you really think that God created this in you just so that you can push it aside once you start following him? 
That can't possibly be. That would be like Mario Andretti giving you a Ferrari and inviting you to race with him and you ditch the keys and you run after him. I mean, why would we do that? But so often that's the connotation. When, when we come to God, when we become religious and, and, and find faith, we, we start ignoring our brain. But God has laid incredible potential in us and he wants us to use it. He, he tells us to use it. He's given you a mind to imagine, to learn, to create. And the minute we stop doing that, the minute we stop using our brain, that's the minute we stop to truly live because we will stop to learn and we will stop to grow and to make progress. Mark Batterson in his book Primal says, loving God with all your mind means making the most of your mind by learning as much as you can about as much as you can. He calls it holy curiosity. Do you have holy curiosity? There's an essential link, I believe, between loving God with all of our heart and loving him with all of our mind. See, the awe and, and wonder that comes from, from loving him and desiring him and worshiping him needs to be nurtured by our curiosity about him. When we lose our passion for him, when we lose our heart's desire and passion for him, that's the moment when we will lose our curiosity about him. And the moment we, we stop learning more about him is also the moment when we're going to start losing our passion and our love for him. Because when you stop learning, you will stop loving. Think about your relationships. Think about the one that you love the most. Don't you want to learn more and more and more about that person? And how much and what we know about a person has, has a direct effect on our love for that person. I, just, I was just in Germany this last week at a conference. And on my way back, I watched this, this movie. I forgot that I think it's called Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon, I think. Anyway, so they have this relationship. They're passionate. They love each other. They're having a lot of fun together. And then they spend Christmas with each other's families. And each of them starts learning things about the other they didn't know. And boy, did it affect their love for each other. Right? So how much and what we know about a person has a direct effect on our love. And part of our loving God with our mind is to ask the tough questions. To, to ask questions and then to pursue truth. Pursue the answers. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says it this way. It says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Right? It's, it's in God's hand what he, what he reveals and what information he makes available. And that's that's his, his decision. But it's the glory of kings, of humans. It's a majestic feat for us to pursue a matter, to search for answers and search truth and to pursue it. And the fact is, the more we know about something, the more we will appreciate it. And the more we know about something, the deeper our experience of it will be. Think about a musician, somebody that knows a lot about music and, and, and has learned to be a great musician, listens to music completely different 
than, than those of us that, that aren't musicians. You hear harmonies and, and what's going on much, much better and you can experience in a much deeper, deeper level. If you're an artist, you can appreciate paintings and sculptures and, and other pieces of art much deeper and have an appreciation for what's going on than I can. I just look at it and it says, nice picture. I mean, the more you know about it, the more you appreciate it and the deeper your experience of it is. If you have played baseball all your life, then you have a much deeper appreciation for the ins and outs of the game. When I look at it, I just see a big guy trying to hit a ball with a stick. But if you really know it, you have a much deeper appreciation and experience in it. An astronomer or an astronaut looks at the night sky with completely different eyes than you and I do. So what about our knowledge of God? The more we know about him and of him, the deeper our appreciation of him and the deeper your experience of him will be. What we know about God is closely related to how much we love him. In John chapter 4, we read a story of Jesus meeting a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well where they went to get their water. Now, the Samaritans believed similarly as the Jews did, but they didn't have all the scripture. They didn't have all the, the information and revelation about the God that they were worshiping. And Jesus actually tells her, says, you worship a God whom you don't know. You worship what you do not know. Basically, what he's telling her is you, you're worshiping, maybe with your heart, but you're worshiping in ignorance. And that will always be empty. It will be empty for God who receives that, and it will be empty for the worshiper who worships out of ignorance. See, God doesn't want you to just worship. God wants you to know why you worship. You ladies, have you ever had your husband apologize for something? Guys, have you ever... Oh, wow. Okay. Um... Melody, we will have a marriage seminar soon, maybe. Maybe you and John can make an appointment with me. All right, okay, husbands, have you ever apologized to your wife just to keep her quiet? Says, yeah, I'm sorry. See, my wife, I do this all the time, she, she catches it and she says, well, Christian, what are you sorry for? So now she always makes me say, I am sorry for so-and-so. And so I say, well, whatever you want to hear, right? So she called it. Because you know what? The apology means nothing to her because I haven't understood what I'm sorry for. Right? Now, I make her say the same thing. It just happens a lot less than the other way around. But, <laughs> but here's the deal. We worship like that so often. We worship because, well, that's what's expected. That's what you want to hear. Not because we really understand in our mind and appreciate why we worship this God. Why he deserves this worship. Imagine us later today singing songs of worship in, in response to this message. And just imagine God all of a sudden said, hey, stop, 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 rot, got quiet. Hey guys, I just, I just wanted to ask you, Eric, uh, Eric, why are you singing this? Susie, wh- why, why are you singing this? Can you imagine him stopping us in the middle of that and asking, said, no, wait a second, that sounds okay, more or less, but why are you singing what you're singing? Do we know, does our mind worship God? Or do we do it 
because we feel fuzzy in our heart and because that's what we do here and it's, it's just kind of what's expected. Jesus says to this woman in this context of worshiping and uh, that they worship something they don't know. In, in chapter 4, verse 24 of the Gospel of John, he says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship in spirit and in truth. But you have to know truth to worship in truth. To know truth, you have to pursue truth and ask questions and seek answers. There shouldn't be this disconnect between our heart and our mind because they're allies. Love really happens where our heart and our mind meet together. That's where love happens. If my wife, if Sandrine only loved me with her heart, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't be here this morning. Is she? Oops, I hope. Could someone go look for her? I'm telling you, I've given her lots and lots and lots of reasons for her heart to just say, this is just not worth it. But you see, her mind has made a decision to love me. And so we can't, we can't separate in our, in our love for God. We cannot afford to separate our heart from our mind because we need to know who we worship. We need to worship in spirit and in truth. But our mind goes beyond just processing information and knowledge. It goes way beyond that. It's not just a rational computer. There's, and I want, I'm going to get a little technic, technical here. I want to tell you a little bit about the brain. The brain has, has a left and right hemisphere, right? Do you know that? Left and right. The left is mostly responsible for linear uh, and logical thinking. The right side is more responsible for intuition and, and feelings and emotions. Between the two are 300 million nerve fibers connecting them. So our brains need to work together, even in those two separate compartments. And then scientists have, have identified and found all these little sub-parts of the brain. And here are some of them. There is the auditory cortex, right, That's, that processes sounds and then translates the sounds into intelligible language and in music that we hear and appreciate. Then there is the, and I'm going to butcher these names, I'm sure, amygdala. It helps us process our emotions. You see, even our emotions are uh, housed and controlled by our mind. Then there is the motor cortex. It has to do with coordinating our muscle movement. Okay? When, we, when we really do anything, when we exercise, do sports, or do anything physical, it's controlled by this part of the brain. And here's my favorite by far. It's the medial ventral prefrontal cortex. You know what that is? It's the home to your humor. For some of us, it's vacant. Yeah. Ah, see? It just worked. See, your medial ventral prefrontal cortex just thought I was funny. I love it. So by now you're thinking, okay, where am I? Is this church or science class? And here's the point. They shouldn't be all that different. Because science tells us about the God who created everything. And we learn about him and his character. But this isn't a science class. This is a church this morning. So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because our mind is more than reason and intake of information. Our mind is, is our control central. 
And so loving him with all of our minds means, yes, loving him with our logic. It means loving him with our language. It means loving him with our intuition. It means loving him with our imagination. It means loving him with our athleticism. It means loving him even with our humor. Because all of that is controlled and contained up here. So loving God with all of your mind means to embrace your mind, all of your mind, and to use it and to honor Him with it. But I also believe that we cannot truly love God with all of our minds unless, and this is my, my second point, unless our mind is being renewed. Romans 12, 2 talks about that. It says, do not conform any longer to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, Bible is very clear that apparently there is a need for our minds to be renewed. And, and that renewing of our minds will transform us as a person. I want to try and explain why that is necessary. All right, who do we have here? He's not looking, is he? Hey, Vero. Hey, catch this. And here's another one. Catch it? Whoa, almost. Okay, now, why did you just catch that ball? Did you think about it? Did you say, oh, wow, that ball is coming at me with maybe, what, 15 miles an hour, maybe faster, maybe slower, and what am I going to do if I... If I don't catch it, it's going to hit me. I don't like that. I could get out of the way, then the lady behind me gets hit. But maybe I should just, oh, let's just catch it. Is that what you went through just now? That's about it, huh? That's a little more precise. See, you caught that because your brain's been programmed to do certain things. Okay? This, probably, you probably learned this in, in very early childhood because you sat somewhere, somebody threw something, and it hit you. And you thought, hmm, didn't like that so much. So then your brain got programmed. Next time something comes at you, you're going to either get out of the way or catch it because it's not fun to get hit by stuff. All right? So the point I'm trying to make is that, that when, we, when we are born into this world, our mind comes blank, pretty much, almost. Well, there's one thing that's in all of our minds when we are born, and that's me, <laughs> me, 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 right? I'm the exception to that. My brain came with two thoughts, me and food. Okay, but so pretty much blank, okay? God brought us into this world with, with a mind that was just ready to absorb and take in and learn and be programmed. And so our mind got programmed as we experience things, things hitting us, people hitting us, just experiences that we have. And information that's being put in lays the foundation of your operating system up here. And that happens fairly early on. And then the rest of your life, that gets maybe adjusted. But pretty much, once your operating system is set up here, it kind of determines and, and filters everything that comes in and controls how we react to certain input and, and what, how, what we think and say and do as a, as a reaction to that. And so here's the problem. By the time that most of us come to a place where we consider God, where we consider following Jesus... Our operating system has already been, been set without God's input. 
And so our operating system has been, has been shaped by our environment, by our experiences. And God, the creator, hasn't had his due input in that. That's why he tells us, if you really want to follow me, your mind needs to be renewed. And to continue this, this computer analogy, we need, a, we need a reboot. That's what Romans 12, 2 is telling us. Your operating system needs a reboot, needs a cleaning house. See, our, program, our, our operating system has been told certain things that we operate on. It tells us, for example, if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. That's, that's what most of us are trained to think up here. So that's how we act. Our, our culture has, has programmed our minds to think, well, do whatever feels good. And if, if you want to have sex with this person and this person and this person, that's okay. Just do that. So if information gets in here and, and it, it, it sets our value system. It's a filter that everything goes through. Our culture programs us to think that your value depends on your accomplishments. See, these are the kind of things where Romans 12, 2 says, okay, you need a reboot. Your operating system is, is faulty. Your mind needs to be renewed. You need a new operating system to filter input through. Transforming your mind really has not much to do with anything you will do. And I love that this passage is in the passive. It doesn't say, okay, now you transform yourself and renew your mind. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning, you don't do it, Jesus does. And that's where grace comes in. We can't do it. We can't accomplish that. All we need to do is, is acknowledge that and submit our mind to him. And allow him to press the reboot button and start reprogramming our operating system to renew our mind. Because one thing is for certain, if our mind is not submitted to God, right? if our mind is not submitted to God, it is automatically submitted to the culture we live in. If your mind is not submitted to God, your mind will be submitted to the culture you live in. The question is, who, who do you want to shape your mind? Do you want an increasingly selfish culture that looks out for itself to shape your mind, to shape your thoughts, to shape your actions, to shape your emotions? Or do you want the God, the creator of the universe who loves you to shape your mind, to determine your thoughts, your actions? And it says here in Romans 12 too that the result of submitting our minds to him is that we will learn how to know his will for our lives. To love God with all your mind means we need to embrace the mind that God has given us and re refuse the lie that says when you come to faith, forget your mind. No, we need to embrace the mind that's God, that God's given us and use it for him. But we also need to bring it to him and submit it to him and allow him to renew it so that we as people can be transformed. And then thirdly and, and lastly, I want to talk about the responsibility of us guarding our minds. So we embrace it and we use it and we submit it to God, but we still have the responsibility of protecting and guarding our mind 
Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In German, we have a saying, and I don't know if, if you have this in, in English too. It says, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest. Really what that means is, you, you know, thoughts will come into your mind. You can't always control what thoughts come into your mind, but you can control whether that thought stays there or not. Whether that thought starts to gain control over your mind or not. So taking every thought captive, and I was thinking, what, what, can, what does that mean practically? Anybody working on taxes right now? No? Well, you better. <laughs> well, you have a couple of months, I suppose. Hey, tax season's coming up. There's always that thought of, well, does that really need to go into my return, right? Does that really have to? That thought might come. But are we going to let that thought there? Or are we going to take it captive? Say, okay, wait, wait, wait. Don't go any further with that thought. Hold it right there and say, okay, Jesus, what, what's with this thought? And we see in Scripture, it says, be honest. <laughs> Do not steal. Be above reproach. Ah, okay, that thought doesn't cut it. Bam! That means using the renewed mind that we have. Filtering input through God's filter. Taking it captive, looking at it, say, okay, now wait a second. Does this align with what God wants for me? No, it doesn't. Let's kick it out. The thought of, of again, and you know what? I'm going to talk again about sex. As a, as a pastor now, just with the limited amount of time that I've been in this kind of position, I don't think there's one other issue that causes more heartache in our churches than the, the issue of sexuality. And how it is practiced outside of what God created it to be. I haven't come across another issue that causes as much heartache and pain in, in the lives of our churches. So the thoughts come. Of course these thoughts come for all of us. But what are we doing with them? Do we allow the, what, what our culture thinks out there to... to to be the, the filter that we filter these things through? When the thought comes to, to engage in sex with somebody who's not your spouse, whether you're married or not, or do we take that and say, okay, now wait a second. I know the culture out there tells us, oh, this is okay. It's all consensual and you're having fun and that's okay. Or do we say, okay, now wait a second. I know that's what my culture has conditioned me to, to think and believe. But what does the Bible say about that? What does God, who created sexuality, what does he say about that? And he says, no, this is to be enjoyed and experienced in the confines of a, of a monogamous marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is bad for you. Taking it captive. And you know what? It, doesn't, it often doesn't take rocket science. God's given us an incredible mind that can see the future. What I mean is, we have a mind that can, can know cause and effect. Right? If, if I take this ball here, and I, and I drop it, okay? I drop it. I know what's going to happen. I can see the future. <laughs> Whoa! I knew that was going to happen. I knew it was going to bounce right back into my hands. Right? But often we live life 
as if we don't know the consequences to certain actions. I think sometimes loving God with our mind is just using the common sense that he's made us capable of, of, of reasoning. I heard a message recently from a pastor in Atlanta, and I'm sorry I'm getting a little fired up here. He was talking about this very issue. His name is Andy Stanley, large church in Atlanta. And he's, he's been a pastor for 25 years, and he said this. He said, in 25 years of being a pastor, I have yet to come across one person, one person that I've had conversations with, who can honestly tell me that exercising sex outside of marriage has simplified and bettered their life. Not one person. And I would venture to say that that is absolutely true. So if we just would start in certain areas to submit our mind to God so that we can actually use common sense, Just using common sense will lead us more often than not to doing what is God's will in the first place. Taking every thought captive to be the obedience of Christ. Filtering thoughts induced by our environment through God's filter that he wants to give us when he renews our mind. So another important aspect of guarding our mind is not just filtering the input that comes in. We can't control a lot of the things that, that we're bombarded with in our culture, right? They're there. So when that happens, we've, we've got to, again, take them captive and say, okay, Jesus, what, what about this? Is this from you? Or what? But then there's another way that we need to guard our heart, and that is by actively monitoring what actually comes in. Again, some things we can't control. A lot of things we can We need to determine what we fill our minds with. Philippians 4.8 talks about that. It says, finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to read that to you again, but in the message. In a, a more, and we don't have this on the screen, but it's a more modern alliteration of this this is how he writes it in the message summing it all up friends i'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true noble reputable authentic compelling gracious the best not the worst the beautiful not the ugly things to praise not things to curse loving god with with our minds means choosing carefully What we allow into our minds. What do we allow to shape our thinking? Because what we expose ourselves to again and again will, and there's no way around that, it will start determining the output. That's just the way God, God made our brain. We can decide not to watch certain things, not to read certain things, not to listen to certain things. And now, let me say this, I, I'm not talking about that all we should ever watch is Little House in the Prairie and, and K2 sermons on YouTube. Okay? That's really all you should ever lay eyes on and fill your mind. And that's not what I'm talking about. There's, there's great movies, great music, great things out there for us to take in and enjoy. That, that's not the point. But there's also so much out there that's just, That's just trash that we call entertainment that will and does shape our mind and it shapes our values and it shapes what comes back out of us. 
thing. I've, I've said this before. I, mean, I have the tendency to get so wrapped up in sports, especially in the fall. And, and the more ESPN radio I listen to, the more it comes out. And I realize, man, what am I, what am I filling my mind with? Now sports is great, but if that's all I put in there... Wow, it will be a waste of, of the great mind God's given me. So we've got, to, we've got to monitor what goes in. The things we feed our minds with shape our thoughts and our actions and our feelings. If we feed our minds with violence, violence will come out. If we feed our minds with, with oversexed content, sex will preoccupy our minds. If we feed our mind on ungodly things that will determine the output of our lives. Again, there's a lot of good stuff for us to enjoy. I don't want us to all, you know, I'm not telling you cancel your cable TV and throw out, rip the dish off your roof and burn the music you listen to. Let's just be mindful. Aren't we trying to be careful about what we put into our bodies in terms of food and you know, trying to be healthy and be, be reasonable? So often we don't do that with our mind. We just indiscriminately just, just take it in. Not being careful what it does to us. So I want to ask the band to come out and I just want to ask you and encourage you to, to just kind of take inventory of your mind of do you do you love god with your mind do you embrace your intellect and i know for a lot of us who've grown up maybe in very conservative uh, christian upbringing embracing intellect wasn't part of what we were encouraged to do so i want to i want you to know that you are free and that you actually have a godly mandate to embrace your intellect and to nurture it and to honor it to ask the difficult questions that maybe you weren't allowed to ask and pursue answers to them and pursue truth. The more we know about God, the more you will love and appreciate and experience Him. So do we love God with all of our mind? Do we allow Him to transform our mind? Are we really willing to submit our mind to Him and and renew it, reshape it? And then, again, last week, are we careful about what we allow onto our hard drive up here? Allow God to put in a spiritual junk filter. Where we just know, it says, you know what, this is just really not necessary or good for me. And lastly, I just want to tell you again, so often when, when we talk about God and God wants your heart and, you know, have you given your heart to Jesus? I want to ask you today, have you given your mind to Jesus as well? Because God doesn't just want your heart. He wants your mind and he wants all of you because he loves you so much. So now I just want to invite you to, to stand with us and to worship this God who's given us such an amazing piece of gray matter between our ears. And let's worship him in spirit and let's worship him in truth.